for those who know every line, and for those finding Star Wars for the very first time, welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. It is very early in the morning on Sunday. (laughs) If we were children, this would be the cartoon watching hour. (laughs) However, we are adults. So this is the cartoon describing hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's describe some cartoons. What are we doing this week? We are watching Rebel Season 2, Episodes 13 and 14, The Protector of Concord Dawn and Legends of the Lasat which are really long episode titles to write out again and again, BTW. Don't, <laughs> but, don't try it. But fortunately, they're, uh, they're nice, relatively simple episodes. Or are they? Or are they? They're very beautiful. There's a lot going on, and they don't connect at all. That's true. So well, let's start with Protector of Concord Dawn. Okay. Protector of Concord Dawn is a Mandalorian episode, which is delightful. The plot is that the rebels are in Sato's command ship and they are discussing how they need a new hyperspace route to get in and out of Lothal because that's one of their bases of operations. And Sabine recommends trying to figure out a way to fly around and through the airspace around Concord Dawn, which is a Mandalorian colony that is like kind of part of Mandalore, but not technically under the Empire's control, like the actual city-state of Mandalore. Well, the city-state of Mandalore has been destroyed. Yes. So it had been undergoing a civil war for a long time, punctuated by periods of peace. And now the Concord Dawn system is one of those breakaway republics, basically. Got it. Okay. They are split on what to do here. Hera and Kanan think that they should ask nicely, basically. And Sabine thinks that they should show these Mandalorians their strength as a warrior culture. And Sato. And Sato, true. Yeah. So Sabine and Hera try diplomacy. They go to ask nicely. They show up in a flock of A-wings and things immediately go wrong. The Concordian leader shoots down two A-wings, shoots down Hera while she's covering Sabine so Sabine can hop into hyperspace and get away. Hera is severely injured. She rolls back up to the command ship in this floating, fiery wreck and they mm-hmm. rush her to the emergency room. She's fine. Well, she's in a coma, but she will survive. Yeah. (laughs) She's in a coma. She's fine. She's in a coma. So Kanan decides to take himself and Chopper to infiltrate the base and make the Concordon Mandalorians negotiate. Well, he pitches it as the revenge mission. He's going to go in and beat them all up and show strength. Nothing like forcing people to do diplomacy. That totally works. Exactly. (laughs) However, Sabine stows away in the hold because she wants to make the Concordon leader, Fen Rao, pay for what he did to Mother. Mm -hmm. Relatable. (laughs) They sneak into the base and Sabine is busy planting bombs on the entire Mandalorian fleet while Kanan, like has a saloon scene with Fen Rao and they're sweet talking each other and they're doing the flippy pistol thing and there's Western music playing. Well, so Kanan had served in the war with Fen Rao. He recognized him. And he's got this great line where he's like, you saved my life at the Battle of Mygido and I'm here to return the favor. (laughs) They're actually making a nice connection But just then, Sabine gets caught Mm -hmm. by the Mandalorians, and we finally get the backstory that I've been looking for since season one. Halfway through season two, here it comes. Sabine tells the Mandalorians that she is of Clan Wren, House Vizsla, like pre-Vizsla. And all of the Mandalorians are like, she's Death Watch, she's a traitor, kill her. And Sabine is like, no, my mom was a traitor. I am here to invoke the code for justice through single combat. I call out Fen Rao. 
And so he's like, okay, I guess we're going to fight. And Kane's like, this, let's negotiate instead. And he's like, hey, my hands are tied. She called out the Mandalorian code. We're Mandalorians. And then they duel, single pistol Western style, and Sabine wins. She shoots the pistol out of his hand and also blows up all of their fighters, save one. It is amazing. Unfortunately, the fighter that she did not blow up is Fen Rouse. So he hops in. He's ready to go blow up the rebel fleet in his own counter revenge. Mm-hmm. So Kanan freaking hops onto the top of his fighter and hangs on by his fingers while Rao flies through the atmosphere. And he ends up like swinging on top of the fighter and wobbling around and cuts his way in using his lightsaber and then punches Rao and knocks him out and force flings him into the Phantom and takes him hostage. What? So then as they're all leaving, Fenrao gets a call and he's looking at Kanan and Kanan's like, answer it and Sabine's like he's a prisoner he can't take outside communications and Kane's like answer it and Kanan reveals his master plan which is that Fen Rao can't lose face the Empire doesn't rescue people who get beat by up, up by the rebels so Fen Rao now has to cover his own failures and that resolves the situation he says don't worry about the rebels we'll let them through but we aren't going to tell the empire we're going to get paid by everyone it's going to be great yeah as long as i'm here as a hostage give the rebels safe passage through our Mm -hmm. atmosphere and there's no uh closure on how long he's going to be a hostage for which is wild it is uh yeah it is not a thread we pick up in the next episode no because in the legends of lasat we start off and ezra is communicating with a informant who informs him that there's some refugees they need to save the informant is revealed to be hondo and the refugees are revealed to be lasat and we had thought that zeb was the last of his kind and it turns out he emphatically is not and there is a apparently famous old lady, Chava, and then there's Chava the Wise. Chava Thank the you wise. very much. And also Gron. Gron. <laughs> and Space Gron worked for uh was a guardsman under Zeb because he was a high honor guard captain of the royal family of Lasan. And so they all managed to escape. However, they are dogged at every step by Hondo, who in seeking to get paid over and over and over again for doing the same work, is like continuously informing on everyone to everyone. So they're, the the Imperials are always two seconds behind the Rebels because they have Hondo in tow. Yeah, just to paint a picture, Hondo sells the Lasat to the Empire, then tells the Rebels about the Lasat, then helps the Rebels escape, then agrees to help track down the rebels for Agent Callus. <laughs> this is all in the first 30 seconds of the episode, and it continues. It's like a tennis match. My neck is getting sore. So anyway, the rebels manage to bop into hyperspace, and they're flying along, and Chava the Wise reveals the prophecy of the child, the warrior, and the fool. And nobody is who you think they are, <laughs> except maybe Hondo. Yeah. yeah. And, and so she's sitting there chanting in a circle. And so is the whole ghost crew. They're like, look, we got two Jedi on board. We're used to chanting. Zeb is having no part of this. And he goes to his quarters and Ezra peels off and says, hey, what's the deal? These are your people. I thought you'd be happy to see them. And Zeb reveals he failed them. It was his one job as the captain of the honor guard to protect Lasan. And he failed. A bomb blew up. He woke up and he was just in a daze until Kanan found him. I think it was the Imperial takeover that that he failed at. So he thought that he led to the genocide of everyone in his kind. And he's been living with that shame. Mm -hmm. And now when he sees a bunch of Lasat trying to find a new prophesied homeworld, he's like, I don't feel like I am allowed to have a part in this because I was responsible for the destruction of the old homeworld. And Ezra says, you weren't there then, but you can be there now. 
And so they go back into the circle. And by this point, the chanting has reached a high part. And Gran says, use your bow rifle the way the ancients did. So he takes his big stick bladed pokey weapon and he like unfurls it and a tripod pops out. And then lightning starts shooting out. It joins with Chava the Wise's stick of magic. And it points out a specific system that's way the heck out there in wild space beyond the outer rim. So... They head that direction. They are stopped by an imploded star cluster, which is just this big starry night looking cluster of stars that stops them dead in hyperspace. It's a gravity well. Yeah. And due to our, you know, deep understanding of how hyperspace works, <laughs> we know that gravity is bad for hyperspace. <laughs> so... They don't have a way through that. Everyone's pretty frustrated. But Chava the Wise is like, no, this is the maze. This is the part where every, like the warrior is going to come uh, attack the child. The child's going to save the warrior and the fool from themselves. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? Just then, Callus and Hondo show up <laughs> and are ready to shoot the rebels into or just ready to shoot them, ready to watch them die. But they give them a minute to figure out what's going on. And... Zeb says, grab my bow rifle. He turns it into ancients mode. He shoves it <laughs> right into the freaking dashboard and the hyperdrive starts turning on and a path starts being charted. They're moving slowly towards this imploded star cluster. Callus sends two TIE fighters behind the ghost. The two TIE fighters disassemble due to gravity. But because Zeb sparked up the bow rifle, the ghost has this cocoon of protective electricity around it. And it just leads them forward. And it makes them, it, they go through this thing. Callus has to retreat and they go through this maze. And they make it to what is actually the original home of the Lasat, the planet of Lirasan. And it's full of Lasat. And Gran and Chava the Wise are going to stay there. And Zeb's going to come back and he has reached such peace. He's like, now whenever I find another of my people, I can show them the way. Oh, goosebumps all over my limbs. So we had another episode of recruitment, sort of, where we recruited Fen Rao uh, slightly less consensually. Yeah. yeah, that was a non-consensual recruitment, Sam. That was culty. And we also did good backstory on Sabine, determining that apparently she is a child of Death Watch parents. Ooh. And we learned about Zeb, that he was actually much higher ranking in the Royal Honor Guard than we thought. And he has to deal with that, but it seems like he is able to. Yeah. So first a Sabine episode, then a Zeb episode. I was expecting these two to link together because mm. they felt so pivotal it was surprising to me that we dropped this thread where I guess the rebels take hostages now and we move straight into this beautiful, mystical, magical force journey with Zeb. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the hostage situation there. Yeah, please. So we end the Protector of Concord Dawn walking through the halls of Sato's command ship and Fenra is, in fact, in handcuffs. Yes. But... He is also a Mandalorian, so, like, handcuffs are kind of prudent, you know? Because they didn't take his armor off, because that would just be kind of rude. But, like, a Mandalorian in their armor can kill, like, 50 people. Yeah. So, just, like, being like, hey, we're going to put you in cuffs just because we don't want you to, like, accidentally twitch a finger and shoot off, you know, a flamethrower or something. That's <laughs> that's just prudent. I think the interesting part there is that Kanan reads the whole situation as if we defeat them, then the Empire will take over. If we let them be defeated, the Empire will take over. So we need to empower the Mandalorians to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we need to show that we have the strength to defeat them, but we won't. And that way, Fen Rao is like, okay, so here's my here's where Fen Rao is. He can't let the Empire know that the rebels captured him because otherwise they'll just bring down the hammer and be like, okay, well, obviously you suck at your job. And so we're going to replace you with an Imperial garrison. Mm. And Kanan's like, you don't want to be replaced with an Imperial garrison. And I don't want you to be replaced with an Imperial garrison. So keep taking the Empire's money and also let us go through. 
But what are they going to do without their leader? That's a good question. Right now, nothing. But maybe after. So another interesting Fenral factoid, and this is, I think, very important. He was a famous pilot of Skull Squadron during the war, and he was a flight instructor, which explains why he was able to actually get some shots in on Hera in an A-wing. Oh, yeah. He was horrifying. Because he's like, so they, they roll in, and Hera's like, protectors of Concord, Don, we respect you. We are here to ask for your help against the Empire? And Fenra's like, ooh, so sorry, <laughs> wrong answer. I am enforcing the Empire's will here. And then when we cut to uh, Sabine and Kanan, they're watching as an Imperial agent lands and gives Fenra a suitcase full of money. So he's just in it for the money. He's in it because it's a very easy job for him. Like he has his group of however many Mandalorians. He's like, yeah, we just kill pirates, we kill rebels, we get paid, uh, we get to do some combat. It's it's fun. And I think Kanan appeals to a deeper sense of justice in him because they were really close. Kanan and Fenra were very close to diplomatizing their way out of this situation over mm-hmm. tea. And I think by saying, why don't you come back to my place and have some more tea now that we've proven that we are strong enough to fight the Empire and you aren't just a you don't have to be just enforcing the bully's will that the rebels have a winnable fight. Oh. Maybe you can change sides. So even though he's a hostage, you think he's going to sit down with Kanan at the negotiating table in handcuffs and they're going to parlay? I think they're going to parlay, yeah. Interesting. I can see it happening. It's just I'm so used to the Clone Wars and Rebels episode format where things are tied up neatly in a bow at the end of the episode, Mm. that this felt unusual. Well, we've been doing that over the last couple episodes. I mean, really over all of season two, because basically once every two or three episodes, we've recruited someone to the rebellion. We started off with the Lost Commanders, and we got Ryder Azadi. We've been adding people to this rebellion, and the I was peeking ahead a little bit, and this happens actually throughout all of season two, is that we're adding people. And Fen Rao is an interesting case, not only because it opens the whole Mandalorian can of worms, which I love, mm-hmm. but it also, he's a really interesting person to have on their side as someone who obviously was fighting for the good guys. It's not like a, you know, if you were to, remember the conversation that Sagarera has an Andor where he's just trash talking all the other types of rebels. Yeah, they're neo Republicans, yeah. they're partisans, they're separatists. Krieger is an ox, you know. <laughs> and what would he say about Fen Rao? That dude is cool. He would say Fen Rao is a Mandalorian isolationist, or like he's a turncoat. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a turncoat. He's he, an opportunist. He turned. He turned everything for money. And so when you see someone like that who's like, they came back from the money, they got paid by the empire, and then they joined the cause and do it for free now, you're like, okay, that's a good cause for rebellion. Oh, yeah. I'm wondering if Kanan is going to appeal to a sense of purpose. Because what the Mandalorians on Concord Dawn are doing seems purposeless. They yes. are flying mm-hmm. patrols. They are hanging out. They are taking a lot of money for presumably not a lot of work. And they're not contributing to anything greater. They're not, you know, reinforcing their culture. They're not expanding. They're just kind of flying in circles around their colony. And so Sabine is actually a huge catalyst for that, Mm. right? Because... Sabine shows up and she's like, this is in fact my armor. I didn't steal it. I'm not a bounty hunter anymore. I am how uh, Clan Wren House Vizsla. I'm no longer a traitor. And then when she challenges Fenral to a duel and wins, but wins without killing him, like that doesn't finish the duel. What actually what it actually takes is him running away and then Kanan punching him out. So like the duel kind of resolved. But the important part is that Sabine is saying there is a path forward 
to a unified Mandalorian culture, not these separate Mandalorian cells that just kind of operate as little bands of people with a strong tradition. Interesting. And I think that's partially from her upbringing, but also from her being a rebel. This goes back to the Blood Sisters arc, where Sabine has now realized that being part of something brings some sort of serenity and meaning to her that just being a Mandalorian or a bounty hunter doesn't offer. Mm. And so when someone calls her a bounty hunter, she's like, so are you. We can be more together. Mm. So continuing on this thread, there are a ton of Clone Wars allusions Mm. all over both of these arcs, especially Protector of Concord Dawn. So we call back to Death Watch, yes. who we met all over the later scenes of Clone Wars. Yes. So if I'm remembering correctly, Death Watch was, quote unquote, a terrorist cell. Yes. They were weird splinter people. They lived on their beautiful moon. Yes, the moon of Concordia, which uh, previously was the governor of. Okay, okay, okay. They had the Darksaber. They did. And so... The Darksaber has a storied history, which we're going to learn about much later as we move through Rebels. But the idea of what uh, Satine did, which was bring peace to this like long-simmering Mandalorian civil war, and that the House Vizsla and Death Watch were still the militaristic side of things. Yeah. What I remember is that they were diametrically opposed to Satine's pacifist agenda for Mandalore, which is crazy because Bo-Katan was Satine's sister. So it was like an inter-house rivalry. Yeah. I guess my question is, if Sabine's mom was also House Vizsla, did we meet any female Death Watch Mandalorians besides uh, besides Bo-Katan? We did not, but we didn't see very many of them with their helmets off. And it looked like all of the Night Owls were female. Okay. So if Sabine's mom is not Bo-Katan, which I'm not ruling that out, that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. Then she could be a Night Owl. Yeah. Or she could be... Any of the other Mandalorians, because there's a lot of them. She could be doing something else, yeah. Okay. I feel like you're subtly crushing my hopes that Sabine's mom is someone we know. That may be the case, yes. Mm. 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 Okay, before we move on Mm -hmm. to Legends of the Lasat, I want to talk about a couple of the fun Clone Wars callbacks and illusions and cool things. Yeah. You're going to laugh. I thought Protector of Concord Dawn was a real callback to the Lurman arc from the Clone Wars season one. Most referenced episode. Most referenced episode on our podcast. Probably once a week. We talk about the freaking Lurman. (laughs) In in the sense that um, they're trying peace where war is the option. Well, my thought was actually that when Hera gets blown up. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, like when Anakin gets blown up. Yes. There's actually, it's shot by shot the same scene. Oh. When Anakin is in the bed in a coma Mm -hmm. in the Lorman arc and when Hera is in the bed in a coma in this arc. It just reminded me of when your fearless leader gets taken out for the count and everyone else has to sort of fill in for what they would normally do. Yeah. And I liked that in the Lorman arc, it's Ahsoka and Ayla Sakura mm-hmm. who have to step up and convince the Lorman to fight. And then in this one, it's Kanan who chooses to advance Hera's strategy of diplomacy. Mm-hmm. When I don't always think of Kanan as a diplomacy first kind of guy. I think the fact that Fenrau is someone from the Clone Wars that he recognized, he was like, this is someone who I know to be honorable. Mm. And like no one, I, I want, he wants to leverage the fact that he fought in the Clone Wars, that, that they're both veterans on from the same side from the same war. Mm-hmm. And I think that he also 
recognizes the real politic of the situation, which is if the empire sends their agent once again with a bucket load of cash and they find a burnt out shell of a Mandalorian base, they're like, oh, someone attacked them. Now we need to install a garrison to protect the system. Mm, so they're covering their butts. Yeah. Oh. And Kanan's good at that. Yeah. Other fun fact is that if you recall Racco Hardeen. Ah, uh, yes. Racco from the Hard- face-off episode. Yes, yes. Racco Hardeen is who Obi-Wan Kenobi impersonated to get into prison, to then break out of prison. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't remember what he was up to after that. Like, hanging out with Cad Bane? Yeah. And then they... And, Qu- and Quinlan Voss. And then there's, like, a box. Oh, and we met Mama the Hut. Yeah. Is that the same arc? Yeah. Holy moly. Anyway. Um, well, Racco Hardeen, the hardened criminal that Kenobi impersonated, was said to be from Concord Don. Yes. Which is probably why people were so afraid of him. Yeah, it seems like a scary place because it's a planet which has had a bite taken out of it. Like an entire quarter of this planet is missing, which geophysically is not how that works but but it's so pretty yeah i mean there there could exist a weapon which could do that i'm sure but it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it's yeah fun. it is fun okay i really want to get to the second episode so legends of Alyssa is all backstory and i really want to point out that this episode is worth a watch with your eyes closed for the soundtrack alone. Oh my goodness. It is the best score we've ever heard. Maybe in all of Star Wars, but definitely in Rebels. In season two, the the chopper rolls in with the cavalry at the end of season one still makes me cry. I whistled that to myself and I start crying. But oh, Sam! I know. But this episode <laughs> has got this like stirring strings type of thing going Mm -hmm. through as they're opening up all these mysteries. God, I love strings. Just the best. (laughs) I want to talk about a lot of things, but I think I want to talk about the Force first. Right. So Chava the Wise is sitting there opening up her prayer circle, and (laughs) she says, the Ashla. And she's describing it. And Ezra's like, that sounds a lot like the Force. And she's like, Ashla, Force, whatever, doesn't matter. What matters is it's the will of the universe. Mm -hmm. Now, the Ashla is the original name from the zeroth draft of Star Wars for the Force. Yes, it is. It is on the cocktail napkin that Dave Filoni sketched out when he was coming up with the character of Ahsoka. And it's on the cocktail napkin that George Lucas used when he was coming up with Star Wars A New Hope is the original name for this kind of stuff. Yeah, I heard in the trivia that he was going to call the light side of the Force the Ashla and the dark side the Bogan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of dumb. Well, so what's interesting about that is that Bogan is a word that we've heard Zeb use once or twice to refer to like little creatures or something. Oh. But, but the idea of a shaman a wise woman of a entire culture having some semblance of like local force presence and it's not jedi it's like she's not gonna fight in fact gran specifically takes a blaster to the face because sabine's like we have reinforcements we know how zeb can fight you can fight and he's like oh no we no longer fight I would call that yet another callback to the Lorman arc, but I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> but the idea of them using the Force to find something is really cool because we actually just saw that with finding Ryder Azadi. Yes. What I So one of the things that I liked about this, not what I liked, but one of the things that I liked about this is that I like seeing that whole other cultures have also formalized the way that they use the Force. It's not just that the Jedi and the Sith are the only people who have ever figured out a structured way in which they apply the Force to problems. Mm-hmm. We see the Lasat in the Clone Wars. We saw Queen Julia's people, the Bardotans, yeah. also do this. They had their own ranks of shamans. Yeah. The Night Sisters yeah. wield the Force in really interesting, mystical, unusual ways compared to the Jedi and the Sith. So I really like that. I also really like 
that this plays well with something we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is that most people, if not everyone, have some potential or ability to tap into the force. Mm-hmm. So when we see Zeb turn his bow rifle into sport mode and connect it to the ghost (laughs) and guide them through an impossible situation, we're seeing what we would think of as a non-force user using the force. Yeah. And part of that is that he's connecting with his entire people's lineage. Yeah. And he's fulfilling a prophecy by becoming the child and the fool and the warrior all at once. That was so good. Yeah. It's a really fun thing. And he's, Zeb is like, I hate prophecies because I don't want to be the child or the fool. I want to be the warrior because I'm cool. And she's like, you are all three of them. You contain multitudes, Gera, Zeb, Aurelios. And he's like, I don't want to contain multitudes. But then when they're needing to go through and he stabs the dashboard, Sabine's like, what are you doing? Leading the way. Oh, my gosh. And then everyone just touches his back and trusts him to carry them through a gravity well. Yeah. And the strings and the camera zooms all the way back out. And it's this teeny tiny crackling ship and this massive hurricane. It mm-hmm. is so beautiful. And I love that the the force is what's doing it for them in a way that like using the force for one specific purpose to get through this crazy nest of imploded stars is really intriguing. And then it shows the history of the Lasat people. They came from Larisan. They developed some way past this horrible maze. And then they landed here and landed in the rest of the galaxy and promptly forgot where they came from. But they remembered in their technology to always remember a specific way of remem- of like pathing through this maze. It's mm-hmm. very cool. It's like a really interesting way of formalizing force usage for a whole people. Yeah. As you say that, I'm curious if you picked up on an undertone in this episode, which I picked up on, about the Lasad. Which, well, what is the undertone? The undertone is Jewish diaspora after World War II. Hmm... That would be interesting. I did not pick up on that. So the diaspora of the Jewish people after World War II, a lot of it was based in the movement of the peoples. So after, as the course of World War II ensued, there was a whole bunch of like people of various ethnicities living in other countries throughout Europe. You had Polish people living in Germany. You had uh, Czech people living in Germany. You had French people living in Germany. You had German people living in all those countries. And as a result of the end of World War II and the redefinition of the boundaries of all those countries, a whole bunch of people were marched across borders and be like, wherever you lived before, this is where you live now because we no longer want to have as much formalized ethnic cleansing in Europe. And a part of that was the creation in the uh, British Mandate for Palestine of the state of Israel in 1947. Mm -hmm. And that diaspora led to sort of a reverse diaspora of all sorts of Jewish people from around the world moving to Israel and then Israel having to fight for its life for about 20 years. Exactly. So the idea of a hidden place that is also sort of the ancestral homeland of a people Yeah, I can see it. That's an interesting one. Well, and I was seeing it too because of the way that Star Wars paints fascism and the way that the Empire is couched as Nazism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I think Star Wars is very, very clear about being an anti-fascist canon of media. Yeah. About fascism being Nazism. And then I was thinking about the Lasat undergoing genocide due to fascism, finding a new homeland. And I guess it felt so uncomfortably close to the present day because of the current Israel-Gaza war. Mm-hmm. I, I've got all of this on the mind. And so when I saw the Lasat people genocided and finding a new homeland, I was like, well, that could not be more obvious. Hmm. 
even though this was filmed in 2015, 2016, it's currently 2024, it still felt so prescient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little less problematic that, right, that right. the original home of the Lyrason is a hidden place and it's not had like the thousands of years of history to develop as its own thing. And we're not sending a million or 20 million Lasat from around the galaxy to an area that could, you know, the size of 50 city blocks. We're sending him to a whole planet. Well, yeah. And no one else lives on Lyrasan. It is not somebody else's homeland that was given to the Lasat. It is specifically the Lasats. Yeah. So that, that definitely de-escalates that a bit i do i do see it for sure what i was thinking of is actually the plot of the canon video game jedi survivor Mm. now jedi survivor one of the big parts of it is you the protagonist calcastus are trying to find a hidden system called tanalore which is really difficult to get to you have to have a very specific hyperspace route that you have to find using all sorts of weird Magitek technology. And then when you get there, it's someplace that is protected from the Empire. And they're trying to move a bunch of like Jedi and children and people there to retire safely from the depredations of the Empire. So that's a very similar plot. That game came out in 22 or 23. So that's after this episode. But the idea of a hidden safe place is an interesting one. And in a way, it's it really appeals to... Um, I think all of humanity and it's somewhat unfortunate that I don't think there exists any examples in real life of going to a hidden safe place that is actually not populated by someone else. Yeah, not on our planet. I think it calls back really beautifully to Obi-Wan Kenobi with the path. Mm, yep. It feels a lot like Star Wars creates these oases where you can get away for a while and be safe. Mm-hmm. And I think this is just a bigger example. It's an entire planet. But we've seen this thread before where if you can just get to X place, you will be safe and protected. You no longer have to worry, right? It's kind of like in the Bad Batch when mm-hmm. the Bad Batch were going to drop off Omega and let her live on that island oh, with nice. the with the fun mayor who like cooks beautiful feasts. And they were going <laughs> to settle down and fish and construct things and, yeah. and hang up their blasters. Yeah, yeah. The idea of a nice little sleepy community somewhere does does have appeal for these adventurers who are these characters all are. But mm-hmm. speaking of safe places, I think this is a nice segue into the last thing that I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Legends of the Lasat had me thinking about the ghost a lot. Mm-hmm. Zeb and the Lasat were trying to find a safe home. But for the rebels, for the specters, the ghost is their home. Yes. You talked about this last week, actually, when we were talking about Princess Leia, looking at Ezra and saying, here is this kid. As a relatively high-ranking person already in the rebellion, she is in some ways responsible for Ezra's lifestyle. And he's going to go to bed on the ghost and wake up Mm -hmm. and still be a rebel who lives on the ghost. And I was just thinking about it as like a home and a war machine. And then it turns into a vessel of prophecy. Mm, Vessel of prophecy. Wow. It is what is enshrouded in the force in order to carry a separated people back to their ancestral safe homeland. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's it's fun when the hero ship because that is what it is you know each of these has a hero craft and the ghost is the hero ship for the rebels it is now part of the story because they also specifically recorded the path through yes and so they have at least one copy of this path that zeb has of anyone who has this information can get solaris on anyone who doesn't really can't yeah And so he is a protector, but so is the ghost because the ghost is what enabled him to do it, which is cool. Yeah. 
I, I'm just thinking about how Lyra-san is a safe homeworld. It's an entire planet. For the specters, their only safe home is mobile. And I just think that's perfect for them. Like, of course, they can't settle down somewhere on the ground. Mm -hmm. They have to carry all of their weapons with them. And if they want a home, it has to be able to move with them. Like, of course, their home is a cannon-equipped, blasty, super-fast ship piloted by the best pilot in the galaxy. Otherwise, how would they survive? Yeah. But it is necessarily transient. There's a precarity to it. Exactly. And that precarity, I think, is important for Sabine and Zeb's character arcs in both of these episodes. For Sabine, she recognizes that the true spirit of Mandalore that lives within her is one of a uniter. And it's not about the guns and it's not about the explosions. It's about living lean. It's about doing the right thing according to the code, not mm-hmm. just using the code to get fat and wealthy living on a blown up moon. And for Zeb, the precarity is his duty mm. because he had the duty to be the captain of the honor guard. And that duty has been taken from him. And now his, and he was without a job. He became a rebel. He fell in with Kanan. He's like, I just love killing stormtroopers. <laughs> and then he now has an additional duty to his people to be the guide, the guardian to get people to their home world. In, in a really important and interesting way, I think what Sabine did for the Mandalorians on Concord Dawn, which is give them a bigger purpose, mm-hmm. I think Chava the Wise and the Lasat did for Zeb. Because he was just like Fen Rao, just wandering around in circles, doing kind of the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah, he can do that. He can bang stormtrooper heads together like bowling balls and, you know, do one-hit KOs. Amazing. We love to see it. But he is also a shepherd. And I think it's really cool for him to embody the warrior, yeah, mm-hmm. and the fool sometimes, mm-hmm. and also the child. And the child is the peaceful person who brings people together. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think these episodes were beautiful. Yeah, they were very beautiful. The art on Concord Dawn is really cool. The moon is like bright purple, and the music in Legends of Lasat is just amazing. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool. They're both intriguing episodes as far as moving the plot along because I think one or both of these is going to be a thread that we pull on later. Ooh. Ooh-hoo-hoo. Okay. So we're still planting seeds. <laughs> Wait, are we pulling threads or planting seeds? We're planting thread seeds. Oh, okay. All right. Give me some of those. And pulling weeds. That's <laughs> On that note, would you like to choose, mm. sir, your bay? Let's do it. It's time for Bay Watch. Bay Watch. Sam, mm-hmm. who is your bay? This is a tough one because, as you alluded to, these episodes are pretty different. Yeah. So I had to choose who the bay is. And I changed my mind halfway through that sentence. And I'm going to choose <laughs> Zeb. Yes. All right. So who did you change your mind from? Kanan. Yeah. Uh, because standing on top of someone's starfighter and laser shorting it open and then punching them in the face and then just yeeting yourself into a shuttle is pretty cool. Yeah. And that, I think that's very deserving of respect. Honorable mention. I'm choosing Zeb because Zeb did it solo. Zeb is doing all of the things he needed to do to resolve his arc by himself. Mm -hmm. And yes, he had Chava the Wise and Space Gron, and he had the whole crew, and he had Ezra and Kanan holding his hands and, you know, force meditating over him. But he had to undergo a profound psychic shift in order to 
use the mystical powers of his entire lineage. Mm. He had to be the warrior. He had to take the humility to be the child. And he had to recognize that he's often the fool. And in or- when he did that, he was able to save everyone. And I think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's a whole Zeb episode. We haven't had many Zeb episodes. I don't think we've had... We've had basically zero Zeb. Yeah. I mean, he has featured prominently in some episodes, but we have gotten no backstory. And so getting his backstory, learning his full name, and the fact that like when these Lasat meet him, they're like, you're Captain Garazeb Aurelius of the High Honor Guard. Ezra's like, did you know this? He turns to Hera and she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we have action figures of you. You're so cool. Yeah, no, this is, he, to me, he's just a big stinky purple guy. And to <laughs> other big stinky purple guys, he's like really cool. <laughs> and I, I love that. If I were a big stinky purple guy, I would want to be a cool one. That's for sure. For sure. <laughs> I, you got either got to be biggest or stinkiest or coolest. And or purplest. Yeah. Or all of the above. And he chose all of the above. So. Yeah. He really stepped into himself. He ascended to a higher level. Mm-hmm. He trusted in his ancestry. He trusted in the force. And he trusted in himself. And his family trusted him back. And I think that is beautiful. Yeah. And his new family, and the entire, as far as we can see, people of Lasat trusted him. And yeah. And that's cool. Well, and now he's leveled up. He got a new job title. He is the protector of the maze. He is yeah. the guardian of the path to Lyrasan. Ooh. He is the pathfinder of the Lasat people. He's the shepherd. He's the, okay, sure. Yeah, the shepherd. It's a little less militaristic, but the shepherd is a powerful metaphor as well. Yeah. Good choice. Who did you pick? Well, I was tempted to pick Hondo. Oh. I did not. We we didn't talk at all about Hondo in uh, in Legend of Lasat. He was very good. He just, like, when he turned the Lasat over to Ezra, he was like, does this mean I'm not getting my finder's fee? And Ezra's like, you never were, Hondo. And he's like, I'm so proud of you. You are the best student I've ever taught. Let me call the cops on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is so hammed up and so deeply morally ambiguous. It is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. However, for my real bay, I actually picked Hera. Hera. Hera's mom energy is so powerful mm-hmm. in Protector of Concord Dawn. There's this moment when they fly in and they're trying to wave their white flag and Hera is being so respectful to Fen Rao. She's calling him Protector mm-hmm. with a capital P. And then they start shooting. And Sabine is in her little A-wing and she goes, Hera, what do we do? Yeah. And the giving of trust to Hera is always rewarded with Hera keeping you safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that is incredibly powerful and inspirational and and aspirational. And also, of course, moms always have the answer. Yeah. If you say, Hera, what do we do? Hera knows what to do. And just like the fact that she sacrificed herself to cover Sabine. And Sabine is like, no, let me stay with you. And Hera's like, absolutely not. Go home. I will be right behind you. And then she wasn't. And But she was in a way. She's a good enough pilot that she can take a shot up A-wing through hyperspace and live. That's really cool. As she's slipping into a coma. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like she got cut to pieces for her daughter, Mm -hmm. and also lived to tell the tale. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what else to say. That is motherhood. Wow. And she spends most of the episode in a coma, so there you go. That's always the way it is with my bays. (laughs) They have one shining moment, and I'm like, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) She's also nice and protective in the second episode, you know, if someone came by with their big sparkling magic stick and shoved it into the dashboard of my ship, I feel like I would be angrier than Hera. Yeah. But also, she, I think, recognizes that they're doing something special. And Hera assuredly had a plan to get out from around the imploded star cluster and take out um, Callus, But she's like, I don't really want to take out a cruiser today. 
We're not out today, of, not today. We we spent like sixteen proton torpedoes taking out those ATATs for uh, Princess Leia, and we haven't restocked yet. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see it. I like it. It's a good choice. Thank you. Sam, what are we watching next week? We are still in Rebels Season 2. Still feels a little bit like the middle, but we're watching Episodes 15 and 16, The Call and Homecoming. I guess we're actually approaching the final third of Season 2. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the midlife of Season 2. These, uh, these... We're a little out of practice, honestly, because like the first four or five seasons of Clone Wars, it's like just get in there. There's 24 episodes. We're just going to watch them and keep going. And then you get to like season seven of Clone Wars. It's like 12 episodes and you watch Kenobi and it's like eight episodes. And so going back to a full 24 episode schedule is... It is exhausting. It's a I'm lot. not going to lie. It's a lot. I get intimidated every time I go to Disney Plus and I have to keep clicking over. <laughs> and the more I click over, it feels like the more I have to click over yeah. before we're done. Yeah. And I just like sometimes I get a little disheartened. You know what keeps me from not staying disheartened is our incredible listening base. Thank mm-hmm. you so much to all of our listeners. You guys are so sweet and the best. As you know, if you want more Growing Up Skywalker throughout your week, you should definitely follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. If you would like bonus audio content, you should become one of our monthly Patreon subscribers. We are starting Vision Season 2. I'm really excited about that. It's beautiful so far. Yeah. It's like multimedia and different. It's it's strange and cool in the way that Visions is to Visions. Visions is to Visions what Visions is to Star Wars. It's yeah, great. <laughs> I, I, I understood that exactly. Okay, Finally, if you would like to show your support for Growing Up Skywalker, the very best thing you can do for us is to rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. Drop us a review. It really helps with our discoverability and it helps to get us into the earbuds of new listeners. And send this episode to your negotiator. Mm. Even if their negotiations are jump up on top of someone's car, stab through the windshield, and punch someone in the face. Still counts as a negotiation. It was so hot. I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll talk to you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.